someone had a bright idea, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to paint a giant peace sign on, on the deflector. And they did. And I remember this because we were, you know, walking over Orange Street Bridge and we're like, hey, there's a peace sign, which is kind of cute and everything. And then one day it disappeared. Well, later I would find out in life that there was an ongoing battle that would happen because it interfered with the radio waves. And so they would repaint that thing and then they would put up no trespassing signs. And of course, those would be knocked over and someone would go back in and repaint a peace sign. Then they put a barbed wire fence around it. Some guy brought in his truck and mowed it down. They repainted the peace sign. There's even postcards that you can buy at Rockin' Rudy's right now that have the group so peacefully holding hands around the deflector that they graffitied on. You know, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me because you see such a contrast between the idea of we're going to, you know, have peace through war and through forcefulness. Violence is not the answer. Thank you, Tristan. <laughs> but I want to do this. I want us to consider what Jesus did and what he would say. And so what I'd like for you to do is, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, but I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24 just to get things rolling. There, there's, there, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and set the, the stage in terms of what's happening in this, uh, this particular situation. By the time we get to Luke chapter 24, Jesus Christ has already been murdered. He's already been you know, offered up on a cross. He was carrying our sins, as we already talked about today. He rose up from the grave. So he was in his tomb and whatnot. And people thought that was it. That was the end of it. But then he begins to appear to different people. And actually, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of funny um, and very, very exciting. But that's what we have in this particular uh, situation. This is the upper room. This is a room that they had reserved, and so they were standing up in this uh, uh, upper room. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, it says, while they were telling these things. Now, what happened here, what he's talking about with they telling these things, there were a couple of guys, after Jesus had, uh, had died, they were walking on this road to a town called Emmaus. And so as they were walking, they were talking about all that had happened at that time, and Jesus appeared, only they didn't recognize him. I mean, they just saw him on a cross, but they didn't recognize him. So maybe he had a different appearance. He's like, what are you guys talking about? He's like, have you not heard what's going on? And so they explain, and Jesus has this discussion with them. And he explains to them what's going on. And eventually, they get to a spot where they recognize it is Jesus Christ. And so they come and they tell the disciples in this upper room, and that's where we are in verse 36. It says, while they, these guys, were telling these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. You can relate to this. Everybody can relate to this. How many times have you been just doing your thing, minding your own business, whatever it might be, and someone just suddenly appears behind you? I keep telling Miles he's going to make a great ghost because in real life he does it really well. He just sort of appears behind me. I remember as a kid, I was about five or six years old, and uh, my mother was in the kitchen. She was cooking something on the stove, probably mac and cheese or something uh, amazing. And so uh, I took my Chewbacca doll, which was about, I don't know, two feet high, and I put them on my shoulders, like I was carrying them around on my shoulders. And I went up to ask my mom when lunch would be ready, and so I tugged on her. She turned around, and there's Chewbacca's face right there. She, was, she screamed so loud, which then scared me. But you know how this is. Can you imagine the resurrected Lord suddenly just shows up? Hey, peace. You know, it's like, what would you do, right? You know, and so, of course, they're startled, right? And so verse 37 says, they were startled and frightened and they thought that they were seeing a spirit. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Some of your translations might say frightened. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
see my hands and my feet. That is, I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And he shows them this. He even uh, asks for something to eat, and they, they give him something to eat. And so he's like, you know, he, he greets them in this way, peace be to you. What's fascinating about this account is that this account is also in the other Gospels that we read. And he gives the same type of greeting. Peace be to you. But is it, is it interesting if we look in verse 38 that he's saying, why are you troubled? Or why are you frightened? Why are you full of doubt? Isn't it interesting that perhaps we can start to hone in on peace by looking at the antithesis of peace? Doubting. Fear. Right? Anxiety, these types of things. The human condition, regardless of who you are, experiences those particular things. Is peace the cure? Is peace what satisfies those particular things? Freedom from disturbance. In fact, here, I I looked this up and I found so many definitions for peace. I'll just give you four that I found. Peace is freedom from disturbance. It is quiet and tranquility. Peace is freedom from the from war and violence, a cessation of war and violence. Freedom, and and so what they're doing here is they're essentially defining it by what it is not, right? Freedom is the harmony in personal relations. Freedom is a state or period of mutual concord. And what's fascinating is we would agree with all of that. But is it possible that as the people of God, we experience something that's much deeper when we talk about peace. So back to Jesus in the, um, in the upper room. John's account gives us additional insight. In John chapter 20, and I don't think I have a slide for this. So John chapter 20 in verse 19, it says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut and, the, and where the disciples were, this is that same situation, uh, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, once again, stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, and after they freaked out, but John doesn't say that, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting to me. Because what you have here is you have Jesus Christ. He's... He hasn't commissioned them yet. Pay attention to that. And when I say commissioned, he's about to send them out into the world. They're all huddled up in fear right now, as as John points out. He's about to send them out into the world. He hasn't done that yet. He also hasn't given them the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that? They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. The first thing that he bestows on them is this concept of peace. That's what he's giving them. But also, I mean, consider other passages in terms of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus goes on this mount. It's just north of Galilee. If you go to, if you go to Israel and you go to Galilee, you, you can't miss it. It's this enormous, huge, beautiful garden. And I don't know if that's where it was or not, but it is, I mean, it's a memorial. Uh, and, and he stood on this mount, and he begins to teach to all these different people. And they're messed up. These are his disciples, but this is at the beginning of his, of his ministry. And so they're gathered at his feet. And one of the things he says to them is, is, blessed are you who are peacemakers. There are some of you here right now who are peacemakers. You'll be called sons of God. You'll be called sons of God. He already gives an emphasis that peace and peacemaking is extremely 
important to him. Think about also when Jesus sends out the 70. He sends out the 70. What I'm talking about is, is later in his, in his journey. We talked about that in, in, in Echo a couple times. He, he commissions, I guess, disciples to go and spread the news about the kingdom. They didn't even know what they were talking about. And he just says, go, go share the kingdom news. And he sends out 70 of them. Two by two, they went out. And he gave them instructions. He told them what to take, what not to take, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things he tells them is, when you greet someone, you give them a greeting of peace. And the verse says in Luke chapter 10, it says, if a man of peace is there, then your peace will rest on him. Whoa, whoa. So there is already peace that exists in these particular people. Is it possible that peace, the kind of peace we're looking for, can reside inside of us before Jesus gets to us? And I believe it can. I believe even, you know, as, as we're looking at Kung Fu Panda, you know, the idea of inner peace. I think you can find some inner peace. It's a quality of our character that we can have, provided that we value it at the beginning. But now I'm going to tell you this. I think it still goes even deeper, though, as we'll see here in just a second. Peace comes before he commissions the disciples, before the promise of the Holy Spirit, before the explanation of the Scriptures. Jesus is giving them peace. So what is the source? So we're going to look at two things. The first thing is the triumphant in, uh, entry. And uh, in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, if you want to turn there, an interesting thing happens. Jesus, this is before he's murdered, so we're kind of rewinding the clock, right? Jesus is heading into Jerusalem. It's the last time he's going to enter into Jerusalem. The people know he's coming. They know all about him. They know that he does all these miracles, and he's very, very popular at this moment. People are singing his praises. They went and they got him a donkey, and he's sitting on this. And what I love about the triumphal entry is this. It is listed in all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They talk about this particular entry. They, they even talk about the donkey that he's, that he's sitting on. And while he's coming through in this particular situation, as he's approaching it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they were shouting. Now listen to what they shout. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Lord, give me peace with that curtain. Peace in, peace in where? Peace in heaven. Well, that's, doesn't that seem a little odd? Peace in heaven. Compare that to Luke chapter 2. Now, remember when Jesus first came on this planet, he was born in a manger, right? And a bunch of angels gathered around some shepherds who were in a field. Talk about being startled. You know, I just want a tape of everyone who was startled by God. I think it would be hilarious. So there they are. The sky opens up with glorious rays of heavenly light, I suppose, and they start singing. And what are they saying in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Glory to God in the highest on, and on earth peace among men. Isn't that interesting? So now you have these angels that are talking about peace on earth, which we sing all the time, which quite frankly, I can understand. Think about it. The Savior of the world has now arrived on earth. He's probably going to bring peace on earth. Okay, but what about this whole peace in heaven thing? 
Can you see how there's a bit of a contrast? Why aren't they crying out the same thing? Why aren't they saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are the people as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. That would make more sense, but that's not what they're saying. Isn't that interesting? So what is this? What's happening at this spot? Well, there are a few theories. One is this, that it is a common practice of the Passover to be yelling to all the visitors who come through the gates of Jerusalem during Passover. Why might that be? Because what they're quoting is from Psalms 118. It says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord, which is uh, basically it's, it's a way of greeting each other in remembrance of the promise that God had made. He makes it here in Psalms. He also makes it in Zechariah chapter 9. In fact, Zechariah, Zechariah 9 is, even talks about the donkey that the king will be riding on, okay? And so every time people are coming through the gates with the Passover, they call it the Great Hallel. It is the collection of psalms that are being sung and praised during Passover. So as people are coming in, they're giving this, this huge, joyous shout, and that's what they would be doing. So in some ways, perhaps Jesus is the center of what actually is a tradition, Right? Perhaps. The second thing is this. Some scholars wonder, did they understand at all what they were saying? Maybe they didn't have a clue. Maybe they started chanting in such a way that all of a sudden everyone just joins in. They don't even know what they're saying. Is it possible that maybe it was even prophetic? Maybe the voices that were speaking at this time here in the multitude, according to Ellicott's commentary, it says that um, the voices in the multitude, perhaps we're prophesying unconsciously, speaking of peace in heaven. Another com commentary says this, it was a noble movement on the part of the, the people, but they yet did not understand its deep significance about what they were saying. You know, I don't think that's far-fetched, because did they know what they were doing with Jesus? The Bible clearly tells us that they did not. In John chapter 12, it says, these things, his disciples, they did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And in, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they what? Know not what they are doing. Is it possible that the people at this time were talking about peace in heaven without even comprehending what that meant? And I believe that's probably the case. Because what did it mean? What is the significance of peace in heaven? We get a clue from Colossians chapter 1. This I do have a slide of. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Later, you would hear Paul's words. He says that Christ put to death the enmity, the strife. Here's what, here's what he's referring to. You didn't belong. We don't belong in heaven. It was made for a place where only those without sin, those who were pure, could exist. That's not us. As a result, I've even read that there are places where the way angels looked on men was with displeasure because they resided in a place without sin, but they looked at men who made full efforts and choices to bring sin into their lives. 
So there was this strange tension between heaven and earth. There was enmity between the two. The two were, were at war, if you want to call it that. Is it possible that what these people are saying at the gate as Jesus is coming through, they don't understand, but they are celebrating the fact that through him, there will now be peace between heaven and earth. I mean, how powerful is that? And if that's true, what else do we read? In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the peace that we're talking about, maybe the peace that the world needs, maybe the peace that we know exists, even though we can't quite define it, finds its roots in Jesus Christ. That's my theory. Is it possible that we've always been longing for that particular type of peace? Something inside of us is crying out for it, and we haven't fully understood it, just like the people at the gates, until we come to understand who Jesus is. In Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. I don't think I have this either, do I? Okay, sorry. Lots of verses today. Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles, you guys used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. And in those days, you were living apart from Christ. Those are literally the words that Paul writes. But then he says this in verse 14. He says, but for Christ himself, Christ has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. So listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the Jewish people who are God's chosen people, you get to be a part of that. There was no way you could have been a part of that, but now you can be a part of that. They're all the same people. That's all of you and me and the Jewish people. We're all made one because of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say this, verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. And we now have peace in heaven and on earth. We've been brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. And so now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house. We are built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You can see, you can see like, Paul's getting so excited in, in all of this. And he's, he's getting towards the end of chapter 2. And then in, in Ephesians 3, he says this. When, when I think of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and then he gets sidetracked. Isn't that funny? In Ephesians chapter 3, he's so excited. He's like, when I think of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Yeah. And it's funny because the commentaries that I, that I read about, they even, they even say this. Barnes notes on the Bible says this. Hence, 
this long parenthetical sentence, one of the longest that occurs in writings of Paul, is expressed under the impulse of a mind that is full of the subject. It is exceedingly difficult to understand the exact state of mind in which Paul was. It seems to me that the whole of his long statement grew out of an incidental mention that he was the prisoner for the Gentiles. But essentially in chapter 3, he's so excited about this message of the cross, he calls himself a prisoner of the Gentiles. And so you have to skip down to verse 14. And in verse 14, you read these words. I, Paul, fall to my knees and pray to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love actually is. I think what's fascinating with, with all of this is Paul is writing to say this. Because of the power of what Jesus did, we also have power. We have peace because of that power. How does it work? It works like this. No matter what happens to you in your life, no matter what happens, nothing could separate you from God because of Jesus Christ. If you really believe that, don't you feel that sense of peace? Isn't there some assurance that come what may, it doesn't matter what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter how angry they are with you. It doesn't matter what things that, you know, they're, they're devaluing your character. And the reason I point all those things out is because that's what I'm hearing on the news all the time. Everyone gets upset because of Twitter feeds. Because Twitter feeds, someone will say something ridiculous. We're all humans and we all do it. And then they're ripped to pieces. Like lives are being destroyed. And some of you can relate. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been hurt through social media. You've been hurt through something that someone says or they didn't like or they, you thought you would get more likes on something and you didn't and all this other stuff. You're surrounded by it. It's tearing you to pieces because people are messy and mean and cruel. How can you find peace? Because guess what? God loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to reconcile you back to him. That's where you find your peace. There is a connection between you and God that somehow gets rid of all of the junk, all of the stuff that clouds your life. Of course we're looking for peace. But is it possible that you can have a good night's sleep and rest your head on your pillow no matter what someone says about you or what they've done to you. I believe it's, I, I think that's very real. I feel like I see it all the time. Believe it or not, even this building issue. We're, we're stepping into an issue that, I mean, it is, it's overwhelming. And yet, we find peace. Because if God is in it, and we have been approaching his throne in prayer, because of what Jesus Christ has given us, we can approach him because we have been brought together, as I just described. Good grief. It's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. But we as humans, we're always trying to do this. Uh, okay, so what's the worst case scenario? Can you imagine being Gideon and thinking what the worst case scenario would be? You have 300 men in an army, and you're going to face 135,000 enemy troops. Well, let's see. What could happen? 
What do you think could happen? You could get annihilated, right? In painful ways. Is it possible that when God is in control, we have such great peace that it transcends anything that the world can understand? That's why I think we struggle with the definition. That's why I think the world wants peace because it's inherent in our human condition. But I also believe that until they understand and believe the message of Jesus Christ, they're not going to have it. They're not going to feel it. Which means there's a strange responsibility that we have. A twofold responsibility. And here it is. Are you ready? Number one, are you at peace? Are you at peace? Hey, that's, that's a really good question. It's such a simple question, but it's a really good question. Because the follow-up is, of course, why aren't you? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you have no idea what all this religious stuff is about. I implore you, consider it. You could find a whole other level of peace that you've never experienced before. And then for those of you who are Christians, if you're, if you're restless and not at peace, ask yourself these questions. Why? Why am I not at peace? That should take you into a place that puts you right at the feet of God, where you pray to Him and you search the Holy Spirit inside of you because there could be some things in the ways that you think in terms of your faith that you need to change. Maybe you haven't surrendered yourself to Jesus. The second thing is this. How do we then spread peace? How do we become a light and a beacon to the world around us? I was recently at a conference. Uh, it, was a, it was a short one. Um, uh, last week, uh, I was listening to a speaker, and she, and she brought out uh, a prism. I mean, it looked like a diamond. But you know, as kids, uh, you love it when, well, I don't know. I didn't have much of a life. So I was very excited. When my mother showed me a prism, and she put it inside of the, uh, right in front of the window, and the sun would hit it, and, you know, rainbows would just scatter all over the room. And it was really cool. You'd spin it and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, we were entertained for hours. And so, I mean, but she brought that out, and she's showing us this. And she's like, this is you. This is you. You are cut in immaculate, perfect ways. But the source of your happiness, your joy, your love, your peace, it doesn't come from you. It doesn't emit its own light. It doesn't create rainbows. It's a reflection. It's a refraction. It's a resonation. It's an echo. You are the echo of what's happening. God has brought significant peace. He's given it to you through Jesus Christ. Are you spreading that? Do you spread peace to the world around you, in your work, in your relationships, in your school? So that's the second thing that I encourage you to think about. And then I would just like to close with this. I had a, a, a picture of a tree on there. Obviously, I, I, I'm sure you can see the, uh, the metaphor that we're, that we're looking at. Um, it it's, comes from Psalm 118, which I can't find. Who's got it? <laughs> yeah, why don't you put that up there? I've got it. <laughs> he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. This is talking about you. Pray with me. Gracious God, Father, I thank you for so many things. 
I thank you for Jesus Christ, and I thank you for what he has done for us. I thank you for the fact that even though the people didn't know what they were shouting, they were referring to a thing that we get to enjoy, which is the peace that is in heaven and on earth. Lord, I thank you for the fact that through Jesus Christ, there is no more strife between you and me, between you and the people here, between you and the gatherings of Christians and Gentiles and Jews. You have opened a door and you have welcomed all. Not only that, but then you have given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us significant power. Lord, allow us to trust this. Allow us to have our faith grow and grow in such a way that we can have peace even in the worst scenarios. It's so difficult sometimes. It's difficult to maintain a perspective or it's difficult to maintain faith. So be with those of us who struggle with this. A special prayer now, Lord, for those who are not at peace. Just be with them. Give them an understanding and a wisdom. Help them to look deep within themselves to find out what is it that is not registering. What is it about their faith or perhaps their obedience or perhaps whatever it is, Lord, the relationship that they have with you or the lack of relationship. What is it that has caused so much unrest? And then, Lord, my prayer is that not only would they come out of that dark pit, not only would you pull them from that place, but that they would be surrounded with so much joy that they would give you all glory and all praise. Lord, once again, I, my heart is heavy for those who have suffered so much this month. Please be with the Mackies. Please be with the Van Dunks. Please be with those um, with... Um, Coco and, and her recovery of her surgery. Please be with anybody who is suffering at this time. This is a difficult place. But Lord, you provide so much comfort. So once again, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the power that we have received through him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.